You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, as we come before you this morning, looking and searching in your word, we know that therein is truth and that therein is everything we need to be li- to live in Christ and to be godly in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you this morning to open our eyes to those things you have deemed necessary for each of us to be more obedient, to be better bond servants to you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so we'll open by reading um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to be starting in verse 6. So I'd like to read from 1 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 Corinthians. I lived in 1 Corinthians for so long, I can't get out of it. Okay, I default back to 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of, the dar- out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. <clears throat> we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body <clears throat> the dying of, the, of Jesus and that the life of Jesus, let me read that verse again, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So there's an old saying that much can be accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. And that's very true in the human way, in the human way of speaking. But even more so, when we recognize that the only one who should get any credit for the, the glory of the gospel being propagated in the world, for the changing of people's lives, for, the, for salvation of souls, which is a miracle every day, is God, God himself, not his bondservants, not us. So if we are willing to let the credit go to where it is due, 
Much can happen, and we're going to talk about that when we get to it. So last week, we finished with verse 5, and in verse 5, um, great stress, at least I placed great stress on the idea of um, the fact that we, the ministers of the gospel, all of us in here, are bond slaves. And what is a bond slave? We talked about that. It is someone who is owned by a master, and therefore every single action they perform is at the behest of the master. They have no life of their own. They have no rights of their own. They are owned lock, stock, and barrel by the master. And our master is the Lord Jesus Christ, is God himself. And so with that in mind, as we plunge into these next verses, thinking about how we are ministers of the gospel as servants, as slaves to God. So then verse 6 says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. Where did he, when did he say that? And is that as an exact tra translation of where he said that? When did he say that? He actually said it in three words according to Genesis. Oh, I, I gave the book away. Where did he say that? In creation. Let there be light. The light will shine out of darkness. Is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Christ. The same God who created the universe and started light up physically is the one who has turned the light. Imagine now. It's, it's hard to imagine. I can only imagine. But that before all of this, there was nothing like this. This was all invented out of the mind of God. Everything from the photons of light to the fabric of this chair. And none of it existed prior to creating, to creating time and the, the uh, time-space dimension that we have. So God, who, the, the God who has turned the light on in our darkness is the same one who turned the light on to begin with. In that light, that light brought the knowledge of the glory of God by revealing the Lord Jesus Christ. He revealed, he revealed Christ to his apostles through the Old Testament scriptures and then directly through the incarnation and to us through the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures. This regeneration is so incredible a miracle, the salvation that happens that causes us to see that light. You've, there used to be a commercial and I couldn't, I, I waited too long to look it up. I've seen the light. What was that about? Well, that wasn't important. What is important here? is the light that turned on in the darkness for us was regeneration, was when the Holy Spirit turned our hearts to Christ, which we had been walking in darkness all of our lives and loving the darkness. And then at some point, God turned us to him. He regenerated us. He turned the light on. And that miracle is likened to the creation of the universe itself. One commenter put it this way. He said, like the earth of Genesis 1-2, the lost sinner is formless and empty. <clears throat> but when he trusts Christ, he becomes a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5-17. God then begins to form and fill the life of the person who trusts Christ, and he begins to be fruitful for the Lord. God's let there be light makes everything new. All things become new. You became new at regeneration, at salvation. You became different. And so the God who said light will shine out of darkness is the same one, Paul said, reminding the Corinthians, the same God, because they had their own weird philosophies about creation 
and you witness them nowadays in the cinematic marvel we call movies, <laughs> the Avengers, you know, those, all of those are supposedly, some of those are supposedly gods of ancient times. Not true. But the true story is God turned the light on at the beginning of creation. And then in the beginning of your creation, as a believer, he turned the light on in you. It should also be noted that to know God is to know Christ. He is the knowledge, it says, of the glory of God in a very real and very revealed way. This is precisely what the Savior was telling Philip in Matthew, in John chapter 14. Philip was saying, it, well, first of all, Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> be, believe in God. Believe in me also, he says. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So there's your answer to that question, Thomas. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him, and you have seen him. Now, who's he saying they saw? The father. They saw that they were seeing the father. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father and abide, abiding in me does his works. So Philip had the same question. Show us the Father and, and it's enough. And he said, have you not been with me so long that you haven't seen, what, don't understand what I'm saying, saying to you? If you've seen me, if you've seen Christ, if you've trusted Christ, you have seen and trusted the Father. Any questions about verse 6? Comments? Verse 7. As you get older, you start to feel a little bit more earthen. A little bit more like the dirt is coming apart. <laughs> like the dirt clod is losing its adhesive. And so Paul says, but we have this treasure... What treasure? The light, the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel, all of the things that are tied up in the knowledge of God and understanding the gospel. But we have this treasure and the responsibility in earthen vessels. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So when you hide stuff in your house and you don't want bad guys to find it, do you put it in a gold lockbox and stick it on the coffee table? In this lockbox is everything I own. There's paper and money and bonds and, well, for me it would be, you know, some old matchboxes and some Tonka toys <laughs> that are actually worth money. What are you laughing for? That stuff's worth money nowadays, man. There's Tonka toys I paid 40 cents for that are worth 40 bucks. <laughs> but you don't, you hide it. What's that... I should have bought a million of them, yeah. Little did I know. We don't hide our valuables in ostensive, ostensible, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ost there we go. 
John Wayne mispronounced it in his movie too. Ostentatious boxes that draw attention. God has hidden his treasure in our earthen vessels. All down through the history of the church, and indeed through the history of mankind, one of the great difficulties of life has always been who gets the credit. Men like to be moved to the forefront, and they like to be given praise. They like to be the ones who are noticed. They like to be appreciated. They like to be bragged on. This is an unfortunate appendage of the pride that is the very essence of what it means to be human after the fall. Paul had a dilemma. How could he communicate a defense of the gospel he preached and of himself in a proper way, as an apostle of God, in a proper way without elevating himself? Here he uses an analogy that is evident to all of a treasure carried in, in dirt or in an earthen or in a, a lowly vessel rather than, a, than in a grandiose one. Who hasn't seen an oyster and wondered at the beauty of the pearl that could possibly be contained in such an ugly carrier? I mean, who, who thought the first time, ooh, look at that ugly thing. I wonder what's inside it. I want to eat it. Yeah. Hey, I like oysters. <laughs> but, you know, open it up and, and it's just a, I mean, when you think back through all those things, Jim and I have talked about this, there had to be some of this information imparted to man at the beginning because, you know, if you, if, I wonder what part of the rhubarb's good for me. <laughs> you eat the leaves? Well, don't do, see what happened to Joe. <laughs> He's dead. Don't eat the leaves. So then the next guy said, well, let's try the stock. Who was stupid enough to do that if the leaves were bad? Okay, I'm getting way off. But who would have thought that something so beautiful would be held in something so contemptible? There are some of the earthen pots that have been dug up in, from ancient times. And it was common for, for people who were of some means to hide their valuables in earthen pots. Who would look there? Those just held old, old dough and, and maybe some, some vegetables from the garden that were going to be in the next meal. They didn't hold valuables. Um, and so the false apostles, now I'm getting off onto another tangent for a bit here. Who could think of such value in an ugly, ugly carrier? But so the false apostles accused Paul of being contemptible and ugly. They said this in 2 Corinthians 10.10, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, But you know, he's reminding the Galatians, you know it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So the Galatians were able to overlook whatever it was, and we don't really know what it was. Um, it's likely that he had a condition that rendered him difficult to look at, possibly an eye condition or some bodily difficulty. Um, you've seen folks that are, that are deformed and damaged from birth, possibly, and that are very hard to look at. Imagine something like this. I don't know if it was as bad as like the elephant man or, or one of those kinds of things where tumors and 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 arthritis, terrible arthritis had disfigured someone so badly. But the false apostles attempted to use this against Paul, but Paul embraced it. He knew that this is the message that God, that the message of God is of eternal life. It's of eternal importance and that the looks of the deliverer are at best secondary, which is a good thing. The gospel is what's important not the looks of the deliverer. So Paul embraced that. It's important that the teacher, preacher of the word 
do what he can to melt into the background, much as a frame around a picture. It's important that the teacher preacher of the word um, do this. How many, I used to build pictures frames for Kim's pictures when she used to do a lot of painting years ago in college and after. And, and I was taught that the, that the, um, one of the primary ways of creating a good frame is a frame that tends to melt into the background and point to the picture itself. If you really notice the frame, the framer did a bad job because it's drawing attention away from the picture. So this frame should never draw away from the beauty of the gospel, from the beauty of the word of God, is what Paul is, is willing to embrace this for. The servants of God are to be just that, those who direct the hearers to Christ, so that all will know that any power, any greatness, any wonder comes from the Lord himself, not from the teacher, from the preacher. When the messenger delivers an oracle from the king, those who read the proclamation never assumed that the authority came from the deliverer, from the messenger. The authority of the proclamation came from the king who wrote it. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The vessel must be less than the deliverer. The vessel, excuse me, is the deliverer and must be less than the message. The messenger is not the important thing. The treasure is the gospel. And just as an ordinary looking and even ugly container can hold a great treasure, so the ministers of Christ can be plain, ordinary, even ugly, and yet the treasure they contain is unimaginable. Later, Paul will even allude to those false apostles who brag themselves up when he says this in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, for we are not bold to class or to compare ourselves with some of those who condemn themselves, who commend themselves, not condemn, commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. He was concerned about the message reaching the hearers. And whatever it took to get that message to him is what he would do as long as it was biblical and godly. And, and so I get the impression that Paul, in some ways, didn't treat some of the conditions he had because he saw the, the importance of getting the gospel message to as many places as he could so intensely important that he probably didn't take care of himself physically and medically as, as much as he should have. And I'm, not a, I'm not advocating that, but it seems like that's kind of what comes through some of these verses and some of the scriptures, some of the tendency, tendencies that Paul has are to be more concerned about bringing the gospel than about even himself. And that is as it should be. Paul's concern was always with the delivery of the message, not with being praised for carrying it. This was something the Corinthians needed to hear, and it is certainly something that we need to hear today. And so it is that there are in every town and locality unimposing, quiet clay pots who look plain on the outside. There's no special physical declaration of glory, but they are the quiet encouragers who know the Lord, and they lovingly spend themselves for others in a myriad of ways every day and every hour. And when we get to heaven, they're going to be way up there. And I know where I'm going to be way back wondering, who is that? I can see the back of their head. I recognize that head. I think it was, Whit was it Wesley? Yeah, it was Wesley that said something like, asked if Mr. Whitfield, what he would say to Mr. Whitfield in heaven. And it was one or the other. I'm getting them mixed up. You can look it up. But 
I believe it was Wesley that said, Mr. Whitfield will be so close to the crown, to the, th the throne, and I'll be so far, I'll not be able to see him. That's, it's some variation of that. I had it in one of my other messages. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. <laughs> They're the quiet encouragers who bring God's, God's word and God's encouragement to people, unassuming, unimposing people that you've brushed into, you've bumped into, and they've helped you. They've encouraged you. They've blessed you. They've done it in a number of ways. They've delivered groceries to their, your house, or they've counseled you, they've comforted you, they've encouraged you, they've blessed you. And they know how to do it, and they've done it for many years, and they've become good at it, whether it's just a card or a hug or something more material. They know what's necessary. Those are the saints of God that don't get the credit they should, but they will. They will. And they don't care about it here, and that's as, that's as it should be. These people are unknown to those around them and often unknown to themselves, but they are the backbones of the gospel ministry. Their lives impact so many, but like a pebble thrown into a pool, the ripples move outward throughout the community and throughout time. You probably know one or two of them, you just don't realize it. Often, it isn't until they're gone that their immense influence is realized. There are some in this body, and their service, although often overlooked by men, is seen by the Father of Lights. And, when, and the time will come when he will welcome them with these words, well done, good and faithful bondservant. Well done, good and faithful slave. And it will be a beautiful thing. And they'll get the credit that they deserve. But you know what? You know what? Everyone who's going to get credit at the feet of the Savior is going to do with that credit? They're going to throw it at his feet because that's where it belongs. Every crown belongs at the feet of Jesus. So Paul then says, we are afflicted in every way. How many of these did I bump? There we go. We are afflicted in every way. There are some, but, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. There are some rich words in these two verses, and we're going to do well to look into them. Paul says that in his walk with the Lord, he has been afflicted in every way. This is to be, com this is to be compressed or to be put in a narrow place, um, persecuted. It is to be beset with trouble and difficulty. But he said that he was not crushed. He was not crushed, he was not restrained, he was not kept in that narrow place. This comes from the idea to be pressed in, to be pushed into a tight place and unable to turn. From a warrior's point of view, it's unable to turn and meet the challenge in some cases. Unable to actually um, maneuver in a battle. And but, he's, but Paul says, we were not crushed, we were not kept in that narrow place. Paul was perplexed. Have you ever been perplexed? You have the scripture. You've got counselors, and you've spent time with both, and you're just still not sure what to do. Well, you're in good company. Paul's been there. The bringer of, of most of the epistles of the New Testament says he was perplexed. He was unable. He thought he was without resources. He was at some times decisive and not sure just what to do. So you see that in Philippians where he said he was caught between a rock and a hard place, not being certain if he should stay and be useful to the Philippians or go to be with Christ because that is better, far better. He had that same issue when he was to meet with Titus and Troas, and Titus didn't show up at that time, and he wasn't sure what to do. Even in his perplexity, though, Paul was never, never despairing. He was never of the opinion that the Lord had deserted him. 
The Lord never deserted him, and he would always have a solution. But it might be in God's time. It always is in God's time. But that time might not always also be in Paul's time. Whether it was deliverance from a storm, from a serpent, or whatever, as long as he had a job to do that was given to him by the Lord, he was never without resources. So despairing is to be utterly at loss, to be utterly destitute of measures or resources, to renounce all hope. Paul never did that. And he went through some pretty tough times. Stonings, lashings, um, having to be spirited out of a city at night, let, over, let down over the wall. Chance that I mean, you're let down over the wall. There's no surefire flashlights in 30, 56 A.D. So he couldn't see what was below him. This, some of this stuff had to just been terrifying. Um, because people were trying to kill him. So the short definition of despair is, I am utterly without resource. I am in despair. Paul says, we were never despairing. We were never despairing. Then he says in verse 9, and then I'll ask if there's any questions. He was persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul was hunted or pursued, as the Greek persecuted describes, but he was not despair, not deserted or abandoned. He knew that the Lord was always with him. So to be persecuted is like a hunter chasing or pursuing a prize or a catch, uh, to positively and earnestly and zealously. This is not just people who hack into your bank account and mess it up. This is people who try to kill you. They, seek, they search for you. They go from house to house looking for you, and when they find you, their intention is to draw and quarter you um, and to embarrass you and, and shame you as much as they possibly can. These are the people that were chasing Paul. But he says, they were persecuted but never forsaken. They were never abandoned. Paul was never abandoned. He was never, never, ever deserted by the Lord to leave someone who is in, to leave someone in the lurch, to leave behind, to uh, totally abandon or to utterly forsake. God never did that to Paul, and Paul knew that. Then he said he was struck down as with a weapon or in a wrestling match, but never destroyed. The word for destroyed can be translated ruin or put to death. He was never able to escape adversity, but he always triumphed through it. So he was, he was struck down, sometimes cast down, put in a lower place, sometimes let down from a wall, but he was never destroyed, never lost, never ruined, and, and metaphorically never given over to eternal misery and hell. He was saved, and he knew it. So there was no human way Paul could have endured all of this in his own strength. As an ambassador, an apostle who was tasked with his part in founding the New Testament church along with the other apostles, Satan and the world flew through everything they could at him, through every resource against him they could. His, his enemies used everything from disparaging him to attempting to kill him. The Jews beat him. Stripes. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He... Imagine, uh, it, it, his story makes a great, uh, his life makes a great story. His enemies noted his diminutive stature and his unimposing persona, and they could not understand how he could accomplish what he was accomplishing. It was his weaknesses that allowed God to work through him and get the glory, and this is what Paul wanted. As he works through us, as God works through us, <laughs> unimpressively for us, it will be our weaknesses where God will shine the most. It will be our inabilities where God will bring forth the greatest response, the greatest results. Because God wants the glory. 
and he has a right to it. We don't. So any questions or comments about those verses? I know some of you in here are going through some of this. And I am not, it's not cliche to say God will not desert you. He will not abandon you. He will not leave you in these difficult times. But while you're there, what kind of, what can you, what can we learn from it? What can you learn from it? What can you, how can you bring glory to him through it? Paul was never left without resource. Paul was never abandoned. And when his time came, he was ready. And he talks about that in 2 Timothy. Maybe we'll get to those. Jess maybe thinking about one of those books or something. You probably have to teach 1 Timothy first, don't you? One, two, yeah. Oh, okay. But you're starting with first, right? Good on you. <laughs> Verse 10. So then Paul says this, after he says this, that, that we were... We were, let me go through those again, because it gives context to this verse. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, don't know what to do, but not despairing. Persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. It has been said scripturally that if the shepherd was persecuted, why should the sheep think they would be left alone? <clears throat> Paul, about himself, marks both physical and internal of the Lord. He, he talks about the physical and the internal strife that the Lord Jesus Christ had. Some of the external marks that were inflicted on Christ were by the Roman soldiers. Same with Paul. Some of the external marks that were inflicted on him were by Jew, the Jewish, the Roman soldiers at the behest of the Sanhedrin. Like when they stoned him, or when they tried to, or they when they whipped him with the lash. But the important marks are internal. What are the marks that were internal with Paul? The salvation of his soul, the changing of his character, and things that are related to that. And so, although he carried about visible marks that would remind both him and his hearers of the difficulties in the Lord that he had to bring the gospel to the world. These were marks of the dying of Jesus. He also carried about the marks internally, especially to remind himself and others about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the character of Christ, which was manifested in Paul's life. So these internal marks are the marks that come when the Holy Spirit indwells a believer and begins to change them, begins to move them from bad behavior to good behavior. And, and step by step, glory to glory, they change. The life of difficulty should not be a surprise, by the way, to any of us who have trusted Christ, to any of the elect, for Jesus himself promised it. He promised it. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 24, Jesus said this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts. Are we seeing any of that? to believers today, handing them over to the courts, and scourge you in their synagogues. That may be coming. And they will even be brought, and you will even be brought before the governors, before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. This was of the apostles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, 
but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. So the, the, the master was persecuted. The slaves should expect no better. And as Paul said earlier, we will be persecuted. Let me get back to those. We will be may very well in this country at some time. 20 finds his place. Afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but never despairing. We will be persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. But we will also, by God's grace, carry about in our bodies the life of Christ. And what is that life? It's the gospel. It's Christ himself. Any comments? Yes. No, there's no t-shirt company in the Christian world that is producing t-shirts that say on the back, Welcome, wipe your feet here. We don't have to do that. We can flee. Now, if you can't flee, that's when you will be persecuted, but never forsaken. Jim. And, and I can't give you a formula for that other than what Jim has said, that there are both opportunities. And when you're in that position, you will be trusting the Lord, studying the scriptures, and hearing. Hearing him speak from his word, and you'll know what to do. You'll be perplexed but you won't be abandoned. You will not be abandoned. You will not. We'll be made rich. We'll suffer persecution. Emphatically. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Any questions about that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, when men speak, when the world speaks well of the, of the church, beware of yourself, introspect, figure out what's going on. Any other comments or questions? For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, I'm not saying, not one of these people is going to say, that's going to happen to us. It could. It may or it may not. Be prepared. Be ready. Understand the scriptures. Understand that God allows his, his beloved to go through persecution, to go through difficulty. But he always delivers us, whether it is through earthly deliverance or final deliverance. One way or the other, he always delivers us. He will never leave you forsaken, never. But he says, Paul says, we who are constantly being delivered over to death, constantly, every day, for the most, in a, in a manner of speaking, yes. Paul was always, there was never a time, I think, in his earthly ministry when someone wasn't trying to slander him, libel him, kill him, defame him, make fun of him, embarrass him, run him out of town, beat him, stone him. That's only nine things, but it's enough. So every day he knew at some point something like this could happen. We are constantly being delivered over for Jesus' sake, to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. How he responded to those things is what told the world who his master was. 
is what told the world who he was, what he was all about. More than anything, the patient enduring in tribulation while, minding, while maintaining a love and concern for others, the patient enduring of tribulation while maintaining a love and concern for others communicates the Lord Jesus Christ to the world more powerfully than anything else other than the actual word of God. People who endure the tribulations of the world bring both from others and from circumstances with equanimity and calmness manifest the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do on the cross? Most of us, myself, I would be screaming in pain, whining about my bad treatment. He was forgiving the people that killed him. He had the presence of mind to tell John, there's your mother. Take care of my mother. Make sure she's attended to. He was... He couldn't breathe. He had, to, he had to lift himself up on torn feet and hands just to get a breath so he could talk. Breathe. One sentence would have been an awful lot of work. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing. And he will, he will by his spirit, maintain his believers. His life was a life that was spent in service to others. It's also significant that Paul used the word necrosis for death rather than thanatos. The former, former refers to the dying that happens as well as, but the latter would simply be translated death. So people die. They necrosis. They begin to die. Um, flesh becomes necrotic when it's gangrenous, when it's closed off. It doesn't immediately die. That's kind of the concept here. It slowly but surely loses circulation, and the blood no longer nourishes the, the flesh, and so it starts dying, turns colors, and then you have to whack it off. That's a different word. Paul is talking about constantly being delivered over to dying for Jesus' sake, so that the life, the whole life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Um, the psalmist noted this in Psalm 44, chapter 22. He says, for your sake, David said, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He noted that the followers of Jehovah would, would struggle with this. And this was the regular theme of Paul as he communicated to the New Testament church that following Christ would come with a cost. And it will come with a cost today. Romans 8.36, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered sheep as sheep to be slaughtered. And in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. He suffered daily to bring the gospel to the Corinthians. And there will even come a time when those who persecute them, who persecute and kill believers, will think they are doing the world a flavor, a favor. Those who persecute and kill believers will think they're doing the world a favor. John 16.2 says, They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. What a, what a time caught up with me before I got to my, my planned ending. So we're going to end here. But I want to make a positive as much as possible about this. Not that the power of positive speaking is going to save you. But you're never going to be abandoned by Christ. People may abandon you. Your children may abandon you. Your parents may abandon you. I don't imagine that's going to happen in here in this group. But it does happen to people. Christ will never abandon you. He can't, because he's promised. When does he break a promise? Never. Has he ever broken a promise? I need some head shaking some way. He's never broken a promise. What does it say in Hebrews? 
three times. I will never, 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 triple negative, which isn't, you don't do it in English, okay, that's a minus, that's a plus, that's no. In Greek, it's I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let's, let's end there this morning, recognizing that, that uh, those of us who may be called to suffer some persecution in this world sometime coming um, will never be abandoned by Christ. Never. And Paul was never abandoned, and he is trying to communicate here to the Corinthians that he never abandoned them. And they kind of deserved abandonment in a couple of such times. They were just turkeys, absolute turkeys to Paul sometime. But he never abandoned them. He came back, and he says, I'm be, I die daily for you. Hopefully, all of your, in, in, in the Christian church today, those who, who are tasked with being responsible to bringing the gospel and bringing the truth, are willing to die daily for the followers, for the sheep. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you have promised us you will never abandon us. You have promised us that no matter the happening, we may be perplexed but we will never and afflicted, but we will never be destroyed. We will never be forsaken. You are always there. And that is a promise that we can, as they say, take to the bank. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and lived a life of perfection so that we could be clothed with his righteousness and stand before you and give you all the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.